0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 548, a best of episode. This was originally played in uh, 2011. This was one of the first 20 uh, episodes that we ever recorded, and for those of you that have listened to the podcast many times, uh, that that voice that says everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful, fucked up in some weird way, that's from this, this interview with Greg, and uh, it's one of my favorite episodes. So uh, enjoy it. I will be back in August with all new episodes. Our sponsor this week, as always, is BetterHelp.com Online Therapy. If you're interested in checking it out, go to BetterHelp.com dot com slash mental make sure you include the slash metal part so they know you came from this podcast then fill out a questionnaire and if they have a counselor they feel is a good fit for you they will match you up with one and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it's your thing you need to be over 18 and better help is licensed in all 50 states without any further ado here is that episode everybody i
2: know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way i couldn't stand you in the audition i couldn't stand you yes awful i was drunk
1: and i learned that i could solve my problems and said through violence since i couldn't communicate lonely yes i'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly that's hurtful and what was your role in the robbery i mean you never knew what you were going home to i had a jar that had teeth in it i was a wreck other people's teeth yeah couple of uh, quick notes before we get to the Greg Barrett interview. Uh, keep your emails coming. I love getting feedback from from you guys. Uh, visit the website, mentalpod.com. And uh, there's a survey, a mental illness uh, survey that uh, I kind of came up with that helps me get to know who you are. And you can see the results that everybody else, their um, their answers. So you can kind of browse through there. And it's a fascinating way to realize that uh, so many of us uh, think we're terminally unique, but we're really not and, um, uh, it helps me feel less, less alone. And I kind of enjoy doing that, especially when I find somebody that's more fucked up than me. I'll be honest. It, it feels pretty good. I feel victorious. Um, uh, there's a form on the website. Check that out. Um, you can join it and exchange information with people. Um, you can sign up for my mental illness happy hour group at Facebook. Uh, my Twitter, Twitter name is a uh, mental pod. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that we, there are just too many ways to contact each other, uh, at this point. Um, I'm really close to just heading into the mountains and shelving this whole fucking thing. But, uh, maybe I'll, I'll hang on for one more week. If you want to support the show financially, that would always be greatly appreciated. Uh, you can support it non-financially, um, by, uh, giving us good ratings at, uh, iTunes. Uh, that helps us, uh, boost our visibility. And, uh, that's always good for my ego. And uh, I think that is about... Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, I haven't had any non-white guests on the show yet. Uh, It doesn't mean I'm not trying. I'm reaching out, and uh, I'm not Hitler, but I do enjoy a nice parade. So, um, and one last thing was, uh, I have a lot of sober guests on the program. I'm not trying to push any type of non-drug or alcohol agenda. It just happens that uh, most of the people I know that are willing to talk about their uh, feelings and their pain and their fears and all that stuff uh, happen to be people that uh that have gotten sober so uh, i'm not anti-drug or anti-alcohol um just anti that for for me uh, in fact i'm a little jealous that medical marijuana came around after i i got sober so if you're enjoying that uh fuck you i'm here yeah, with there the- won't be
2: any calls coming in that's uh <laughs> those those that phone is for show business so we will not be interrupted <laughs> at any point
1: i'm uh, i'm here with craig Barron. i just asked him to turn his uh his phone off and uh Greg doesn't believe that's going to be a problem. It's not going to be a problem. I've
2: actually turned my career off, so that phone will not be ringing at all. Uh, my wife is out of town. I don't expect to hear from her either, and my kids are locked up until 3. So we are, we are
1: good, to go. good to go. We're good to go. Your dogs have no interest in you. No, they're not interested either. Yeah, uh-uh. I have no food for them. So, uh, yeah. I uh I'm at Greg Barron's house in uh Southern California and uh you you uh know Greg from a variety of, th- of things His uh did a half hour uh HBO special a while back that I loved um you wrote a book called "He's uh, Just Not That Into You," which then right. became a movie. You have a band that you perform with; that's great. I listened to your CD and loved it. It's called uh, "The Reigning Monarchs," and you have a podcast called "Walk in the Room" that you do with Dave Anthony. That is uh, really gaining some uh, some traction. Yeah, uh, in the house here, in the mean, house mean here. I have downloaded. Yeah. I downloaded like two or three times. Yeah, the nearby neighborhood is kind of cool <laughs> to it, but a lot of fans in the house. <laughs> A lot of fans. A lot in of fans house.
2: in the house. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you sent me an email uh, a couple of weeks ago and said that you'd listen to the podcast. And if uh, if you ever if I ever needed a guest, uh, you'd be happy to come on. And I was so flattered because I've always admired your uh, your comedy. That It's you. You walk that line that to me is so difficult uh, to do in stand up, which is to Keep the laughs coming but have a core of emotional honesty and vulnerability, and, and I think it's lacking in a lot of comedy. I think podcasts are exploding now because it's a perfect medium for it, but there was always a hint of it in in your comedy, and uh, was that – because you started out in the San Francisco scene, was that – was it more conducive to that or is that just kind of who you always were? You know what I actually think it's who I became. When I started, I was
2: trying By the way, is
1: that your gas or your dog's cuz somebody is shitting themselves. That is self. not my
2: brand. Yeah. Uh, cuz it smells like dog gas. Yeah, no, mine's woodsier. Yeah. <laughs> that is just That dog rank. left by the way. That dog that dog farted and then went, "You know what, man, I can't take this." and just <laughs> left. I I can't even sit my own stink for this. Yeah. Um no, I you know, I sort of came to that um uh my, you know, I did like most of us do which is you have a personality that you exhibit in life and then you and then you think you should do comedy with it and then you spend a lot of time trying to get that person on stage but at the beginning you're you just you're david cross you're you're jake johansson you're any 10 people that you're around that you love and mm-hmm. you know i it was funny because i I really like joke writers, and I really like the surrealist. I really liked like what Dana Gould was doing, and Bob Rubin and and Jeff Bolt. These are guys that were in San Francisco that were just so obscure, and I really liked that. And that's not while I like that, that's not who I am. Right. And I tried to be weird. I tried to be strange. I tried mm. to be all of those things that in San Francisco people were encouraged to be. Right. Um. And then I got sober and went. Well, now you're just fucking stuck with you. So now what? Right. And, right. and and that's then, when. How
1: long ago did you get sober?
2: So I'm uh, fourteen and two. Two thirds there to fifteen. You know what I mean. I'm, I'm almost I'm, fifteen years. Almost fifteen or years, minutes. 15, years 15 or years. minutes. Because
1: that's a big difference. fifteen minutes.
2: I've been for this. I'm going to be. We're coming on sixteen minutes uh, of pure <laughs> sobriety. And when I say pure, I mean only part of the way because I'm on a handful of awesome pills uh, that I took, or did I? I don't remember. No, I have. Uh, I'll be. Uh, I will be, uh, as they say, God willing. I will be uh, fifteen in August. That's fantastic. So, so when I got sober, um. I started to think more like myself, and Mm -hmm. I started to, uh, in this crowd of hipsters that I was around, these incredible people, I was the guy that liked Poison Sincerely, the band. (laughs) And I started saying that on stage in these rooms that I was in, and sort of saying, hey, I know we're all hip here, but I like Poison, not as a joke. And that made people laugh. And I was like, oh, if I just tell the truth about who I am, maybe, and my mom, interestingly enough, when I I first started doing stand-up, she was like, I don't understand what you're doing. Why don't you just be... Like you are at dinner, right? And I'm like, because you don't find hungry.
1: You're... How are people going to yeah, laugh at hunger? <laughs> Rude. Africa's it, not funny. Eating with my
2: fingers. I don't get yeah. it. But I mean, she really did. Was like you are just naturally a good storyteller. Why don't you do that? And I was yeah. like, because you don't understand the business. People like jokes and you know yeah. whatever. Blah 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 blah. So that was my thing was to uh, uh, to try and figure out how to to create that mm-hmm. on stage. You know.
1: And about how far into doing standup do you, did you feel like? until you finally found your, your voice. I
2: still am finding it. You know That's the kind of cool journey about it, is yeah. as I evolve as a person, and you know you find it. I think what's interesting is, I think it exists in the bits, mm-hmm. and then they become not you. Mm-hmm. You start, and you start to you mold an idea for me, because I, 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 I write kind of on stage, so I'll have an idea, and I'll go up, and it'll be part of the way there, and then I will find it, and then it'll be there, and then as soon as those words get locked in, that bit is over, and then I'm insincere. So it's a combination of like living it trying to live it a little bit and trying to f- figure out how it exists on stage with sincerity and right. freshness. Yeah. You know? And it's hard because it isn't like this which you, you 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 know which you mentioned which is this is absolutely completely happening right now genuinely sincere and mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing about this podcasting stuff is it suddenly people can listen to their favorite comics and if they're good at broadcasting go Oh, shit. I almost like this better because it's happening now and it's genuine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a depth to it that, uh, you know, we were talking before we started rolling that the, the stuff that I'm able to talk about on podcasts is stuff I've always wanted to talk about on stage, but I could never find a way to do it because there's that pressure of punchline, punchline, punchline. You, You know, you're following a feature act who's crushing, right? You know, you're the headliner. You've got to top him. The checks are going out. People are distracted. I yeah. mean, headlining is a motherfucker. It is, it is hard work being a headlining road comic and trying to get what you is in your soul out on stage and to survive financially at the same. Cause you can go up there and be true to yourself, but chances are most of the crowd may not like it because there's a, they come into the comedy club with a preconceived notion of what stand up is going to be. Right. They're not actually interested
2: in your needs. They're interested in their needs and their needs are that they want to be entertained on a, uh, in a way, especially if they're coming in uneducated about you, if they know something of you, they come in and they're like, okay, I I think I'm getting the Greg Barrett brand here. So I suspect I'll hear a little bit about candy and I'm gonna hear a little bit about football. I'm gonna hear a little bit about, you know, whatever Mm. it is that they, that they know you for, but Um, if they come in uneducated, they just want to laugh and they want to laugh pretty soon. And they also want a chicken wing and they'd like to have that now. And where the fuck is my beer? Yeah. You know, so then you're kind of dealing with all of these other expectations. And the interesting thing about it is, as an art form, it was genuinely meant to be just performed almost in a theater, you know, but you can't get to the theater. You know, the comedy clubs sort of exist. And while I do like the way comedy clubs are set up, I actually like the intimacy of a comedy club. To really get people's attention, you need to take shit out of their hands, Mm -hmm. right? And let them sit there. And that is not how it's set up.
1: So it's. You're set up basically in in the traditional stand up comedy club of today. You are really an appetite. You're the big appetizer Mm -hmm. at the club. That's the weird thing about it, which is like you are not the main
2: consideration. I mean, in some of the clubs, to be fair, there are some very well run clubs in this country where the managers. And the wait staff work very hard to make it your show while still running a restaurant, which is right. what you are in right um, but in a lot of places you are just like just dude do, do your time, be quiet I'm sorry about that guy, but he they bought they had 15 tickets so we're
1: not they're not being kicked out you'll yeah. just have to deal yeah. with that guy yelling at you I remember a club owner telling me one time, "Oh yeah, we're having this other guy back because he sells more shots than anybody else." Uh, and I remember just thinking, I'm fucked yeah I'm well, fucked." You know, if the, if this is the criteria that being a popular, uh, club comic is based on, you know, what I didn't realize is that there are better clubs than, than that one. And there's a lot of clubs out there that book people based on the originality of their comedy. But, you know, you gotta remember, like a guy like Bill Hicks, who is beloved nowadays, nowadays and idolized posthumously, he walked rooms full of people he was despised by the uh and that's him calling from the grave yeah you guys, I was not despised. That, that's not at all how yeah. it was guys and i will <laughs> kick you right in the teeth
2: yeah. uh i'm gonna just let that happen comedian i understand what right. this thing is he's doing and it's he's a gay southern comedian and he's going on and on and on and i this isn't who i expected to be here mm-hmm. and then he would just snap into another and he just, he didn't mind just fucking jerking people in one direction. And yeah. I was like, ah, that takes balls. It does. It does. I think I'm losing you in a conversation and I start fucking weaving. <laughs> I am like, well, let's see if this works. You know, that is the other thing I like about doing the podcast with me and my buddy Dave. Dave is a, is a, is we love, we make each other laugh yeah. and that's enough. Yeah. But it's so nice to just have that one concern mm-hmm. and not worry about what a lot of the people do. And I think that's made me a better artist because suddenly I realized, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to get everybody. Yeah, there are people that I want to get. There are people that I think are on my, te- my on my team, yeah. and I want to get them. But I'm okay. It took me a while to get there, post book. But it, I'm okay with losing you. It's yeah. okay, yeah. girl. Last night, I end with a thing where I talk about Tim Tams, which are that Australian cookie that's now here in the states, and it's there. I, and I they're they're amazing, and I compare them to God's vagina. <laughs> and clearly, I rocked a woman's boat last night. Yeah. She walked out and was like, "I liked that until the end, and then I hated it." Oh, really? And I was okay to let her go. She's yeah. got to go because that's my philosophy. That's my God, which is a Tim yeah. Tam. I'm yeah. going to go ahead and have that feeling about it and let her go because, I, you know, mm-hmm. we were never going to. You have to realize, too, sometimes, like, those people aren't going to, for lack of a better description, buy your T-shirt. Yeah. They're not real fans. You just want, especially in these days where everyone yeah. is gets only
1: a little bit of mm-hmm. the pie.
2: You just want those hardcores. They'll keep yeah. you in business forever.
1: Yeah, that's what Lenny Bruce used to say is give me two thousand fans in, in every city and I'm I'm set for life.
2: Set for life. Yeah. That's all you need. And yeah. and, and and because they love you, and I heard Tomkin Paul Tompkins talk about this. It's not that he doesn't Is opposed to the idea of winning over people that he doesn't know Mm -hmm. where, how far can he go with people that he does know that do know him? What are the risks he's going to take? Where's he going to go as an artist? If the room's already set up to win. Right. Right. Some people like the challenge. Some people are like, well, then you're not a real comic. If you can't go into a room, I'm like, no, it's all different. Maybe that's you, but I love that idea
1: of like, now I'm in a room where I have the love. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do with that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Uh, Let's, let's talk about, uh, your, childhood growing up mm-hmm. what what kind of uh what kind of childhood I had an interesting childhood And in that i
2: i grew up my parents were um uh wealthy my, my dad was in television he was a uh, uh he was the general manager of the nbc affiliate in san francisco mm-hmm. uh and my mom had some uh family money and um and also worked at, at the tv station till she had me and um uh, she was a stanford grad they're both bright bright people uh and so they were lovely mm-hmm. um um my mom was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but high-functioning, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I had uh, uh, bad uh, eyes when I was born. I had very uh, very cross-eyed, mm-hmm. and so I had a lot of surgeries when I was little, so I was in and out of hospitals a lot. I had to do a thing where I would get these surgeries, and I couldn't touch my eyes, so they had to tape my hands to my side, and no. I had to eat off a plate, and no. I had eye patches a lot, so I had a very strange childhood, um, but I was very loved yeah you know loved by two parents that grew up in that it was this is mad men times i mean yeah. you know, my parents were they were kind of that world we i remember watching the first episode of that and my dad with my father my mom, my mother's passed away but my father's still alive very much alive and he went that's a little real for me that's a little real for me the drinking and the smoking and the thing and just like that was the time like what do you bet back up i
1: didn't quite understand that that what's a little real for you watching mad men yeah. The first oh, episode and I saying
2: that. that's a little real for me. Like yes. it was a little tough for him to revisit mm-hmm. how we used to be. Yeah. The drinking, the smoking, the like, you know, I mean, the, the Mad Men's not, you, you know, my dad
1: was, was, uh, except for the philandering, although we might've philandered as far as I know, but my dad was Don Draper. I had pictures of going to visit him in the, the early seventies in his office. And it, it, is just like Don Draper's office. He had a bar in his office. Yes. You know, he was an insurance executive, and he would come home, and, you know, he he would have a couple of drinks. He was always smoking a cigarette. And, yeah. And it was a big deal that he had been promoted. Uh, he worked for uh, CNA Insurance, and it was a big deal when he was made vice president because he was Catholic. That's, yes. Right?
2: So there's... There's the 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 thing about the the Mad Men that was that is so interesting is that mm. it is sort of no apologies. This is yes. what it was like. We're not glorifying it. We're also not putting it down. Yes, the, you know, and, I, I think it fairly paints people of that generation. Pre, they, these are pre AA times.
1: Yes, and you got to remember these people were raised by, you know, people that from from the depression yes that's right so they
2: also were had a different set of parents right and and and, and so uh, you know the morals were different in time so the times were different so that was sort of the world i grew up in but my parents were festive people who
1: liked to have parties mm. um and uh um uh, we, would uh, your, would your mom, uh, at the parties ever get drunk to the point that it was embarrassing to you? Oh, oh,
2: oh forever. Talk about,
1: t- talk about that. So
2: just be that kind of thing where you and my sister and I sort of knew after six o'clock, it's a different lady, yeah. literally like boom. And, yeah. and
1: moments where you, what just... time would she start drinking at six? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was very like, boom. but because she waited till six, she couldn't possibly be an alcoholic. Not at all. Right. Couldn't be an alcoholic.
2: No. Yeah. And so she just, um, but there was always behavior that was baffling. and Of course, you're, you're we, so you don't understand any of it. And yeah. it was always. Can you describe what some of the behavior was? It'd be that weird thing of like my sister and always. what I would always trip when we heard her feet hit heavy on the floor mm-hmm. because you knew she was going to come in and have some weird conversation with you that didn't make sense or yeah. she'd be upset about something that hadn't happened yeah. or she'd be angry. Um, mostly it was at herself. Like she had just went to a place of bizarre self-loathing And have conversations about kind of dark dark but inwardly like she never she would be upset with you but you wouldn't know why but she wasn't she wasn't like she wouldn't hit or
1: anything like that she was just sad the feeling that the world wasn't right yeah would would kind of come well i get and
2: say things i guess everyone's up i guess everyone's upset with me i guess they're upset with me and you'd be like i don't i don't know where we i don't know where the conversation is so just trying to
1: eat without
2: hands right i'm i'm taped you gotta untape me But it was interesting because.
1: Do you remember what you felt like having your hands taped, eating barely bobbing, barely? I remember being four, five, three. How old?
2: I think that started at three, three, four, and then Mm -hmm. went to like about six, somewhere in there. I could, I mean, you know. Yeah. Um,
1: but I. uh, And hopefully they had you do it out on the porch where the neighbor could.
2: Yeah, I mean, I kind of like look. There's a part of it that I think built my show business career because I think my parents were funny about it. Yeah. And my parents were, my parents are both sharp and super funny. And so, you know, you know, eating, it was novel. I was sort of a little celebrity in the house. I had to eat with my hands tied to my side and I had to eat off a tape, you know, they put, put the plate on the stool and then I had to eat off the stool. I mean, you
1: know, it was only for a short period of time, but there was that like, oh, this is special time.
2: Right. You know, I also
1: knew. And I shared this before. So it wasn't necessarily a painful memory. It was uh, you got attention and you kind of like. Yeah, that. but it
2: was weird in that also going in and out of hospitals as a young boy. I'd come upstairs and I would see the little plaid suitcase and know I was going to the hospital and yeah. that fear of like, oh, God, I'm going in for another surgery. So yeah. there were all those surgeries. So so that was sort of it as a young as a little, little boy, you know, then my sister was born. And then my father um, uh, in kind of a, you know, my father was about to be promoted and he didn't like the people he worked for and he quit. Yeah. He said, forget it, and he and he mo- we moved to Marin County, which was not as developed as it is now, and uh, and uh, he um, but we bought a home, and he he had nothing, he wasn't doing anything, he was like, and he bought a radio station up in Oregon, and he bought another one, he bought two radio stations, and he ran those, and that's what he did, he was a broadcaster, and he ran radio stations, but he lived in Marin, and. Um, and so now he was an entrepreneur. Now he was, now he wasn't that world. It was a different world. And he was, he had his office downstairs in the house. So he was mm-hmm. around and, um, uh, and that's when I, you know, I was like 10 and from, for the you know, from 10 to 18, I lived, uh, in Marin with my parents there and had a really white suburban upbringing, mm-hmm. really walked to school every
1: day. And, uh, let's, let, let's back up a little bit to the surgeries as a child, because the I had a lot of surgeries as a, as a child. And I think in a lot of ways it kind of informed who I became later in life. I had the, a, a thing that a lot of little boys do where their, uh, their testicles don't descend. Right. And so you have to go in and you got to get a surgery for that. And I was so, I felt so ashamed about my body. I felt like, you know, uh, like I'm a freak. I was so terrified that yeah, anybody yeah. else was going to know, Um, you know, and for, for years, I mean, even through my teenage years, I, even though I had the surgery to, to, to fix it, uh, you know, it's, it wasn't perfect. And so I would be like, just ashamed of my genitalia. You right. know what I mean? Right. Uh, my, my dick's not big enough. My testicles aren't perfectly even. And I remember thinking, you know, before I ever, you know, got laid, am I going to be rejected for this? Sure. Am I going to, am I going to, why, why, if there's a God, why are you putting me, why are you putting me through this? I mean, did you, did you, what what do you remember feeling about your? I
2: don't recall being sad much as a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do remember thinking that there was something wrong with me that I wasn't bright enough. Mm-hmm. Like I had a lot of trouble because of my eyes. It made it so it was difficult for me to read and to learn. Mm-hmm. And I was slower than everybody and I was aware of it really quickly. And I felt from the very beginning like I am not as smart as everybody else. Right. This thing makes me less. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely felt like, fuck. I am, and so I stopped trying early. I mean, I really did. I was like, ah, I'm just not going to. I can't. I can't. I don't really like work. I don't like right. re- reading and writing is too hard. You know? Right. Um, uh, because you know, my friends could all do it better. I was, a, right. I was a w- re- keenly aware of what everybody else was doing as a young boy, mm-hmm. keenly aware that other people didn't have eye surgeries and didn't, you know, whatever. And keenly aware that like he already finished his, all right. How could he just finish his, I'm still on the first page. Like I was really on other people's pages. I could very, had a very difficult time focusing on my own shit. Right. You know? Um, so I think, if it did anything, it it made me feel less than as felt a, a little a, broken, maybe a little bit. Yes, a yeah. little bit, a little yeah. broken, a little little bit like no, not not gonna be as good as everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And because of it, it made it different. I I had to re, I had to. It took me longer to learn things. I could learn them and I could adapt. My eyes would adapt, but it like took me longer to hit a baseball. Took mm-hmm. me longer to catch a baseball. I was always afraid things were going to hit me in the head because I didn't know where they were. So that gives you depth perception. Was depth perception not barely any? Like I focus out of one eye at a time, so Mm -hmm. I could only I could only track with one eye, and then you switch to the other eye. Like if a ball is crossing your plane, it changes. It's, right, it's up and then it's down, right? So oh wow, so it, it so it takes a while to kind of instinctively know where that's supposed to go. Right, so it just was very difficult for me to. How
1: did other kids treat you? Was there an acceptance, or did you have to really try hard to to win approval from other kids? I think that I was I I was always pretty well liked. Yeah,
2: um, I was always fairly social and pretty nice. I wasn't like a super shy kid. But I, but when it came to sports, which when I was a kid, there weren't other alternatives. You're either good at sports or you were a pussy. Mm-hmm. That's just what it was. Yeah. You just were not as good as the other kids. Like right. We revere other things now in children. There are many different places you can go. I mean, when I was in high school, if you had a guitar, you were a burner. You're like, you were not. Yeah. The guys that had guitars listened to Nugent, and they fucking drove muscle cars. And I loved them. I wanted to be them, but I couldn't because I grew up a very preppy, yuppie kid. Yeah. And so I didn't quite you know, like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like, so it took me a long time to transition into, I became a burnout, but it took me a long time to get there. You know,
1: talk about that because I, I also did the same thing. I I stopped growing. Uh, it took me longer to hit puberty than it did everybody else. So when I was 16 years old, I I was still four foot 10 and weighed 85 pounds and had glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Hello ladies. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) right. So, uh, I wasn't able to compete in sports the way uh, I was when in you know sixth, seventh, and eighth grade when right. I was decent at baseball all of a sudden I couldn't make the baseball team football's out of the question you know I could play a right. little bit of hockey, but it was I remember making the conscious decision that i'm going to be a burnout i'm going because if I have a bag of weed, I will have friends right well, I also just thought i i
2: there was something about me that that always was attracted to from the very very beginning. this is the other thing I remember. I didn't give a shit kind of like I want to play sports because I want to be accepted by my peers, but I only want to be accepted by my peers because I thought that would be how I would get girls mm-hmm. from the very beginning, from the moment that I was conscious. I liked women. And I wanted to be where women were and I wanted to get with women. I was, I've always been very romantic. I've always been very sexual. I was like, I want to be where the girls are. I don't understand this dude shit. I will do this until we get girls. This is all fine. You wrestle. Right. Where are the women? <laughs> where are they? How do we get near them? I mean, right. I don't want to throw rocks at them. Why are we throwing rocks at them? Let's go <laughs> talk to them. Like I just, and I, and I was as a very, I remember coming through. I have this very vivid memory of my dad and I was at Christmas time. And maybe I've, you know, it's codified into something more grand than it was. But I remember us being, walking through the, the at a Macy's at Christmas time and we were in the, the makeup department and we were around all these women and my dad looked around and he turned to me and he goes, this is where you want to be, man. You always want to be around this. You always yeah. want to be here. And I understood what he was saying. Women's where it's at, man. Yeah. It wasn't saying go fuck chicks. Right, he was saying, "Women are like that's the thing, man. That's yeah. what you do. You're around women, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my dad was married to my mom. I mean, that was that. But, but he, he had a real appreciation and respect for women because he'd grown up single. You know, with a single, with his his dad had died when he was young, so he grew up with just his his uh, mom, uh, and they had been very poor, and he worked and earned everything that mm-hmm. he got. So, so." I got that from him, and I and I and he was right. So that was that thing Did, of like Star Wars came around. I watched the first Star Wars movie, and the second one came out. I was like, I fucking where are the girls? Like I don't right. Th- you know what I mean? Like Did I. Did you
1: have any sisters? Yes, I have a younger sister. Oh, okay, because uh, I wonder about that. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have any sisters. I have one brother and a cousin that grew up with us. Uh, but there was a family across the street that had uh, three girls, and they were all gorgeous and nice and sweet. And I would remember just the feeling when i would go visit mm. it was just like uh, this warmth would come over me like uh, there, was, there was something so missing from yep. from my life and i yes. remember sometimes we would go to their cottage for the day they had a little cottage on the lake and we would ride in the van and i just remember i could i could live in this van with these girls the rest, the rest of, my of my life I, I, you, I, and i remember the carpenters uh, song it, coming on and it it was uh, uh not the rainy days and mondays but what's what what's the other uh the big song in there love only just begun um i can't remember love look at the two of us you know right 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 yeah yeah anyway uh i remember that song came on and i remember just to my core feeling this loneliness at the same time as feeling this happiness and it just being so bizarre to feel such, right, right. such sadness yeah. and such desolation at the same time. Yeah. No, that,
2: that is the, that is the, I mean, that's the shit that people write about. That's the stuff that like I had all of my, I had a lot of cousins uh, and, um, uh, and my, uh, my mom's sister had, uh, four daughters and they're all older than me, and they were all gorgeous—Heather, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Cameron, and Kimberly, uh, and Hillary. And you know, we'd go on these vacations. I mean, they were family, whatever. But but they were—you know—I was a little boy, and I was just like wherever they were. I remember walking into a bedroom and seeing a pair of their—we uh, one of the girls' underwear was on the floor. I was like, "Oh, that's oh God, yeah. what is that?" Yeah. Like
1: just the mystery, Your and the scalp would just tingle. Just yeah. the
2: mystery of well, what women things. were all yeah. about, yeah. and their yeah. things, and their smells, and their you know, just, and the, they're giggling. And like, I was like, this is, I, this is all that I need. Like I ha, I have, I've always had friends. I have, uh, I've had, I've had three or four best friends that I've had since grammar school. We're all still friends. Uh, we all went to high school together and then for college for a little while, blah, blah, blah. But, but and and we all love each other. Great guys. But I always was like, where, where are the girls? And as soon as my buddies, I, we were all at the same college. As soon as my buddies left and went to uh, Arizona, I stayed at university of Oregon. I was just where the girls were. Oh, yeah. I just got in the theater department, girls. Theater yes. part. I mean, I'm like, fuck, I'm one of three straight guys in this whole goddamn <laughs> Me department. Me too. This it, was was a-
1: like, it was like f- falling into just a pillow factory. It yeah. was like, this is the greatest. You are like,
2: fucking, don't tell anybody about this. Do you want to know where the girls No, don't fucking tell anyone. I'm the only, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, uh, and so. And that was that that was sort of my thing the whole time. I mean I think it was no um uh, Let's
1: talk about you becoming a theater yeah. major. Was that uh how was that greeted by the the folks? So I go to University of Oregon and I uh Is that uh, Eugene? Yeah. So here's what happens so in high school I'm a a
2: terrible I'm a terrible athlete. Uh, tell the story, by the I'm way, about the, a, a, about, about the... The uh, only compliment that I The got. only compliment you've ever got regarding sports. F- four, four years of high school football, I was a senior. It was halftime of a game that we're losing, and I'm the second-string fullback. Now, I'd just been made fullback that year. I'd been a quarterback all the way along, and when I, and, and and so now I'm the second-string fullback because I got big. And uh, and we're losing a game, and, uh, and the guy that's playing fullback first string is having a shitty game, and the coach gets us in the locker room. This is the only compliment I got in four years of high school football. He goes... We got a guy out here, number 44, Ken Flax, who was a great athlete and would go on to throw the hammer in the Olympics. Right. We got a guy, Ken Flax, he's out here, he's running like a goddamn pussy. And we got guys like Greg Barron here, work hard all week, will never see the field.
1: <laughs> I love it. And, and you were I, happy because your name got mentioned, yeah, but I you didn't also... Really,
2: I didn't get it. I mean, that is me, all, that's, that story is my life. Like, I was like,
1: yes, what?
2: <laughs> like in one moment right now the story that i don't always tell that's the addendum to that is so now senior year football we were not a good it wasn't we were not none of the sports at our school were very good except for baseball We they started a rugby club and the rugby club was made up of all the athletes that were, were shitty at all the rest of the sports so the failed baseball players like that the failed football players we all joined this rugby club for fun what the hell Well, we went on to win the national championships in rugby. And I was the starting hooker, which is the position in the center of the scrum, the guy that hooks the ball back. So I had this sort of little, you know, senior year comeback as an athlete on the starting hooker on the national high school national champions. Wow. Um, uh, Which was very, very cool. And, 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 and. I didn't even
1: know rugby was big out west. I would have thought well, for really sure the national championship would be uh, some we, East well, Coast we, team. We
2: came back and we beat Virginia. We came back yeah. and beat it. We beat Langley. We beat a kid, yeah. a school from, uh, from Virginia. And, uh, uh, but we, we won the West Coast division and then we flew back and was at Dayton, wow. Ohio and then was at the, Army base there, and we played, and we won the championship. And, and, and the it was, six it,
1: people there went crazy.
2: Was no, I mean it was. I mean it was weird, but there was like you know this no because what had happened was all the California teams were winning. Cal won, and the San Francisco team won. So all the schools, everybody came to watch. It was literally a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. These losers get together, and their burnout coach who lived in a van and smoked pot, <laughs> truly. Coached us. Differently. I think we got your next screenplay, I mean, buddy. The the you know the the football coach was in, from the old fucking Lombardi school of yelling, sure. and this guy was like, "It's about finesse, bro." Right. Yeah. The guy who doesn't have the ball doesn't have the ball. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you're high as a kite, but I'll do it. <laughs> and you know, and and then go you to you the open space. It's what you do so, without the ball, right? And so yeah. we're the club. It's a club. It's not a part of the school necessarily, but it's from the school. So we're sort of like you know, I don't know. It was just a great thing to have happen and, and yeah, uh, and uh you know I met a girl when I was in Ohio and there was a car wreck and it was a whole thing. It was a total Disney movie. And you were how old at this point? So what is you what are you senior seventeen years old, eighteen okay. years old? Yeah. So then I go to the I get accepted to the University of Oregon early because we know the governor and uh, I go there, and I decide I'm going to play rugby and be a business major. I was a little bit of a uh, Republican at that yeah. time, just a young conservative kid. I had no political point of view, but I think I sort of straddled that conservative. Joined a fraternity because that's what my dad had done, and right. and I, you know, was a nice and, kid. And again,
1: it's where the where the girls were. I think that's why most
2: guys girls joined were a, there a And yeah, that seemed like the thing to do. And my bros were buddies were they going to do it, and so we did that. And and, uh, and I immediately went, this is not a fit for me. None of this. And I broke my hand playing rugby and I, and I didn't, it wasn't the same as being in the high school team anymore. And I was having a, struggling with the business part of school. I really couldn't get it. And, uh, uh, my buddy and I were sitting in, uh, at the frat, the frat house and we were getting high and we were picking out classes and he's like, dude, you should just do theater, man. Just fucking get high, go down there and be a tree. How hard is that? Right, bro. Get that credit. And I was like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool.
1: This episode is sponsored by Cerebral. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online, you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. And I can recommend, uh, Cerebral. I have, uh, been doing sessions with uh, my therapist Megan, and she's intelligent, compassionate. Um, this last week, I had therapy with her, and she helped me prioritize uh, the things that I've been stressing out about. Uh, she helped me clarify things from a state of vagueness to what are some actionable things that uh, that I can do, and uh, and I felt a sense of relief. All cerebral clinicians are vetted, credentialed, and trained to help you feel better. They stay up to date on the latest studies and breakthroughs so they can provide quality care that's based on rigorous research. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you guys 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code mental. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L.com slash podcast, and don't forget to use the code mental to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet.
0: Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shana's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: So, uh, I took a theater class and I fucking loved it. And I called my parents and I was like, I'm going to be a theater major. My dad was like, Jesus, finally, because they were like, my mom was always like, why don't you perform? You're so funny. And I'd be like, I am not funny. I'm a fucking athlete. <laughs> right? You don't fucking know me. I'm a jock. Now the same thing I have in my senior year was th- this. Th- I also had this other experience. that was coming along at the same time. Uh, when I was a senior was I might work at my dad's radio station. And, uh, uh, and I, music was just a thing that we all liked and did. And I loved music, but I hadn't never had a, I had a moment with an Aerosmith record where I put on, their first record one night at this radio station. And, Toys in the Attic. Uh, no, the Aerosmith, Aerosmith, the first one. Okay. And I put on the song, um, uh, uh, the cover that they do. Um, uh, Train kept a rolling. Walking the dog. Okay. And there's a part where Joe Perry plays sort of a percussive moment. He plays, you know, on a, you know, on on the guitar. And I went, I I want I want I want that. I yeah. want to be that like that was the, the door that opened to like, no, man, this is. And I remember looking at the back of this album cover and there are these dudes and they're dressed like girls. And I was like, that seems Awesome. like these guys nobody's like they were the antithesis of being an athlete like they didn't have nobody was knocking them down they didn't have to beat people up to get women to fuck them in fact they get to do the opposite they were dressed like chicks and they were getting chicks how the fuck like i just was yeah and i there was i was always in my head like even the athletes i like even the joe namath i always liked the rock star mm-hmm. sort of you know that male that not particularly stereotypical male archetype you like the I really showman liked. no matter what you're i like no no what you're doing and i also like things that were not straight up Macho, Yeah. You know, that's I like that's
1: what I've always liked about you is you're you're, you're unafraid to do that. I th- in fact, I think we were exchanging emails a couple of days ago and I said, uh, uh, I'm sure you're going to wear, you know, when we do the podcast, I, I'm sure you're going to wear something hip and yet bordering on, on gay. Yeah. Yeah. Just right yeah. on the edge or maybe just yeah. straight up gay. I yeah. mean, I might just be I could have
2: I could have just put a skirt on. Yeah. I yeah. I always was like, look, I don't. The math in your head's always the same. It's like, well, I like chicks, so that's I don't. I'm, I'm not going to identify. I don't need to defend that. I don't need to defend it, and I don't need to also broadcast it to everybody. And I even mean, if
1: I didn't like chicks, I don't need to defend it.
2: Absolutely, fuck you if I'm. But gay. But at the time, I didn't understand. I mean, I really did like. Yeah. I, I, you know, even though I grew up in San Francisco, you know, you just didn't want people to call you gay. You yeah. Just that was. I mean, that was
1: just an insult. It was insult. a different time.
2: It just, yeah, it, because it meant more actually than gay. It meant you don't belong, bro. Yeah. And you, everybody wants to belong and you're a young boy and whatever. But I always had these leanings of like, I just liked art and design and color and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And But I didn't know that those kind of jobs existed. I didn't understand that. And the only thing closest to it was, oh, band. I want to be in a band. That way you can, you can dress like a chick and you can get girls and you mm-hmm. can, you know, explore just different ideas. And, I, and how old were you
1: when you had your Aerosmith moment? Seventeen. Okay.
2: So late bloomer with the Aerosmith. I mean, a lot of kids were, you know,
1: become a theater major and, uh, you're, you're starting to play music at this Yeah, I have a band. I have a band.
2: I, I, I start, I start a band at the university of Oregon. I grow my hair out. I get kicked out of the fraternity. I move into a house with like six guys. What was the
1: reason for getting kicked out of drugs? Oh, okay. Yeah. Just blow. Just
2: doing. I mean, I was just, I was at the university of Oregon. My mom, bless her heart. Go. Here's what you, I want you to do. I want you to go to college out of, go, go away. Yeah. Go away. Go basically, go freak out. Take whatever you're going to do as a man and as a guy, just go out of state and do it there. Yeah. You know? Find a community of friends. You know, the University of Oregon is a beautiful campus and it is. It's like this little home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everything you need is right there on campus. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to you can walk
1: everywhere. Go. Jesus, you are describing my experience at Indiana University as a theater major and a fraternity guy. D- except I didn't get kicked out for drugs. But every other thing. This is right? just, I just have to tell you that because right. I don't want to interrupt you. But no, no, just, no. no but my that's what brain is. It,
2: it, it was just like go. And yeah. I, went, I picked my college because that's where it, they filmed Animal House. And it's like, like it stopped being school. Oh, completely. It, it's like
1: there was no work. It's, oh, I got to go to directing class? That's not work. That's fun. No,
2: I mean, I'm fucking making out with chicks at my theater class, and yes. the th- two girls want to go in the closet, and and then we and that's only at three in the afternoon, and then we're all going to go watch a movie, yes. and then I've got a film class, and then we're going to meet at Rennie's and drink, and then I have band practice. Like, it was a kind of a yes. heaven Yeah. when I look back on it. There's a part of me that wishes I hadn't gotten so into drugs and alcohol there because I do think fuck, there's some classes I want to go take again. Mm -hmm. Why didn't I pay attention in the... You had to take sewing for, for your Costuming. theater degree, yeah. but I had someone do all my sewing for me. Cause I yeah. just didn't want to do it. And I love clothes and I'd love to make them. I want, and I wish I could go back and take the history of costume mm-hmm. and that shit, because I'm fascinated with, with men's and women's clothes. I love clothing. Yeah. I wish I could, I, if I'd even thought about it then I may not have, I might not have even gone into theater. I might've just gone right into fashion. I would've mm-hmm. just done that if I knew that was a job that men did, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know. Have so, you ever
1: talked that about, about that on your podcast.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, my should, the nickname for me on the podcast, they call Dave Mantits and they call me sweater girl. Like oh, okay. I talk about it. Yeah, because I'm
1: because I, I love I bet it. I think if somebody's gonna contact you uh, about that and take you to their factory or something. Well, you know, a few people have and I've
2: I've have I've started yeah. to dabble in it this last yeah. couple of years. I've started to like figure out I mean, I've made some pants, I've made some I've done some things. And your you idea
1: know? for the logo, the clash logo, uh the shirts Right, with the with the Clash logo, with the Clash logo on it, th- right? Yeah, the the album cover of the Clash, where the guy is uh, about to break the guitar. Yeah, Paul
2: Simonon smashing his bass. Yeah, yeah, just right there on a polo shirt, right?
1: Yeah. So I, um so I started, uh but
2: anyway, so so th- so I, you are you're in that insular world, and I'm starting a band, and you know, it's like you know the band is only as popular as the campus. You I mean you're like your popular band on campus, right. but you feel like fucking heroes because yes. it's like your own little, it's you're literally your own planet. Yes,
1: and. And, and the theater department thing is wonderful, but you're also still being supported by your parents, so you don't have that need. No, right? You Right? Know, no, I'm. Mean, I got a it's job. A glorified kind of world. It's yeah. all the good, but none of the bad real stuff.
2: Right? Exactly. And and uh, uh and you're also like you know you were, because it was University of Oregon it was all classical theater, so we are doing Shakespeare, we are doing Sheridan, we are doing some of this really interesting shit, and people are taking ecstasy at rehearsals, and you know. It was a great great six years or whatever I, I i extended it i really like but i also like did like you know there were mushrooms that were there and ecstasy was coming up from berkeley and mm-hmm. you know i mean it was really those were high times and things were cheap and you know all that kind of stuff um and uh i didn't get as much like i guess i didn't get as much out of the education but i really did like it, it was it was a hard tough act to follow as soon as I graduated, I was on a downhill. I was, it was a bummer until stand up. There was yes. two or three years of like fear, was, fear. What do I do? Wh- what am where I am doing? I going? What am I doing? Yeah. Yes. What do I, what do I, I get this theater degree from the university of Oregon? It's worthless. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful ad- adventure, but it's a worthless piece yes. of paper. I might as well walk into the, this job with a rock, you know, right. do you want this <laughs> rock or my degree? Because the rock will at least hold your papers down. <laughs> I got nothing with this, nothing there's no weight to this degree at all so
1: uh, let let's talk about fear for uh for a, yeah. a second um because I think that that pivotal moment when you when you enter the real world you're done with college you you've kind of laid the uh the the groundwork for what your what your dreams are and your aspirations, but then suddenly the real world is colliding with this that you, now you have to support yourself. Right. And also, what were you thinking you were really going to
2: do? like Exactly. You know, I I was a good enough actor to be in plays at the University of Oregon. Right. Even then, I wasn't as good as the other guys. Uh My band was a punk rock mess of clowns, all of whom graduated and went away, and it was never going to be an actual band. Right. Uh, and these were in the days where you couldn't just, I mean, the idea of recording something was exotic and for fancy people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know you know, even the, even the, the, even the punk band seemed like they had something, you know, like, Oh, oh how exotic it must be to be in black flag, you know? <laughs> right. right. But they made a record, you know, we, how do you make a record? You know, now you can make one at your house, but it, it just was one of those things where it seemed all so far away. And once it all ended and then I was terrified because I was like, I don't know what to do. Where do I and begin? I, yeah. And I don't have much of an education and I don't, and I know that I like performing And that was the weird thing. I know I like performing and I know I don't like acting. And that's a weird thing. Like, I don't love it. I never really connected with it. I had a very hard time doing it. I don't know how to do it. Um, But I do like being in front of people. I love being in front of people. And it was really fun in the band because, you know, you're up there and you dance around with your guitar and whatever. Um, But uh, I don't know what that becomes, you know. So I go, I go home and uh, I'm living with my parents for a little while. And then my buddy and I get an apartment right on the corner of Hayden Ashbury, right (laughs) above on on the exact corner, right above the Ben and Jerry's, right across from the gap in the Tourette, right above the famous sign.
1: And I would imagine somebody steals that sign every day. Well,
2: no, it's, they had to move it further and further up. It's literally out of reach. You cannot get it because they people. Yeah. People just try and bust it off all the time. And I'm sure, you know, someone's figured out how to do it, but, but it was, uh, You know the hate is a kind of a interesting place but not you know what i mean it's sort of like living on venice beach yeah you know a lot of little touristy touristy it's cold up in that part of san francisco it's wet a lot you Mm -hmm. know um uh and i was working at chevy's mexican restaurant i was waiting tables um, and drinking and now I'm, now I'm deep into, now I'm, this is when it really starts to, my alcoholism really starts to escalate cause it's not going well for me. I, I'm sad mm-hmm.
1: and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, uh, and what do you, what do you, I'm going on are feelings What I are have, feelings that you remember, uh, having when, when you were in that, in that time?
2: Well, I was angry cause I didn't like I was angry cuz I didn't like my roommates. Mm-hmm. I was fearful of like not knowing what I was going to do and also like what like I there was a problem like did I just waste 6 years? Right. Like what the fuck do I do? I have an agent because my dad knew a guy and he sends me out on commercial auditions and they're horrible the and worst. I'm horrible. Yeah. And and then I'm going up for terrible plays that are being held in someone's basement. I yeah. mean it just is really sad and my mom is encouraging me to read the you know, whatever the call, you know, whatever that thing is that actors read, you know, those, the call sheet or whatever, the call sheet or whatever those things are called. She says, there's an audition for an improv group. I'm like, mom, just fucking back off. Mm -hmm. And she's like, just please just go, just try. You were good. You taught improv in college. Just try it. So I go to this improv group thing and I enjoy it. And I get in the group. And two weeks later, Margaret Cho joins the group. Mm -hmm. And, It's, we're terrible, but it's fun. And we also, this particular group also performs at the Renaissance Fair and does a play every year. And Margaret says, you got to try stand up. And I was like, do you think she's, and there's another kid in the group named John Bauman. And they're like, you got to try stand up. And I'm like, are you kicking me out of the improv group? I don't understand. (laughs) They're like, no, you would probably be good at stand up. You should think about it. And I'd never thought of it. So I never came to stand up with a great need to do it. It almost became like, well, here's what's left for you, kid. Right. You have a sense of humor and you like standing in front of people and you're a little bit of a sociopath. So why don't you do that? You know, I was trying to put a band together. That wasn't happening at that time. And so I took a shot. I made some friends in this improv group, made a good friend named Laura Milligan. And we went out on a Tuesday night. I think it was Monday or Tuesday night. It was uh, February 28th of uh, 89. And I was 35th on a list. It started at like seven o'clock and went to midnight. And 34, a guy named uh, Mel went up and just stared at everybody and panicked and ran off the stage, and then it was me and I went up and for three minutes I said some horse shit, some goofy, surreal, bizarre shit, and people laughed and I tagged myself out. I'm like, well, that's enough for me. Good night, everybody. Yeah. I think you were allowed five minutes and I did three. Yeah. And it was uh, the best thing that ever happened. You know, I was like, oh, okay, all right. Here, this is yeah, what you I did. Hooked. This is what I do. I do this. This is what I'm going to do. This is my thing. I did it, and it worked the first time. I've never... My whole life, it's been a series of, I'm just going to have to work harder. Mm -hmm. You know, everything. Sports. Even with girls. Like, I just couldn't get it to work. And stand-up, just boom, open that door Mm -hmm. to the point where you're like, oh, I don't have... This is something I can actually do
1: that I can put a minimal amount of effort in. I mean, I can put a lot, Mm -hmm. too, but I can put a minimal amount so the the lesson that I get out of that is always listen to alcoholics.
2: Well, always listen to your mom. Here's the weird thing. I'm realizing this as a parent. It's like you see people and... And you know them and you know what they're, it's hard. And you know, as an alcoholic, like you, you, you can't have no control over people, places and things, mm-hmm. but if you keep whispering something into somebody's ear, maybe it'll, mm-hmm. maybe someday it'll, I yeah. mean, every good decision I've ever made was when my mom would have agreed upon. I mean, I didn't, yeah.
1: it wasn't until I met Amira that my mom went, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's something that, that's so great about the, the, the energy that moms have towards their kids. Uh, my relationship with my mom Uh, she was always encouraged. She wanted me to be a a dancer, which, uh, you know, oh, you have such a good sense of rhythm. You should be a dancer. Right. And I always try to say, no, I'm really not interested in doing that. But she's always supported my uh, comedy. And she would, I, I was so afraid after I got out of college, just like you, was auditioning for theater companies that I had no respect for, for plays I wasn't even interested in. And, but I was afraid to get up on stage by myself. My mom kept saying, I read somewhere. Where is,
2: where is this? Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And
1: and my mom kept, and I auditioned for an improv group and got in. It was Dino Stambatopoulos who went on oh, to do Jesus. Mr. Show, Andy yeah. Dick. Yeah. Uh, actually, we were trying to get Andy in the improv group and the guy who had started the group didn't think Andy was funny. We kept saying, hey, he's a funny guy. You should let oh him in. Oh my God. And then Andy and Dino went off and started doing their thing. But but uh, this whole time, I wanted to do stand-up, but I was so afraid to get up on stage by myself. And my mom kept saying, I read somewhere that if you keep your, your ideas down, just jot them down on three-by-five cards. And then when you get enough three-by-five cards, you can just go up and do it. And she would just kept saying, just try it. Just try it, and I would just go into the basement after my you know day job at the insurance company, and I would drink and I would get high and I would fantasize about the someday that I'm going to get up, and then for some reason, I just one day I just tried just it did it, and she was right, yeah, you know, God bless you moms
2: yeah, I mean I, it's funny, my mom and I had a very like uh, i always the, what, my mom was not a good del- uh, did not deliver the message well. She would always be with like, her heavy feet and her thick tongue. Well, just be like, well, I don't understand why you don't do stand up. You know, well, that's not the way you want to tell someone to do something. Right. But I think, but I think I wanted a spiritual solution. I feel like I was looking for hope. I feel like all of that was just how do I feel happy? Where is my where I'm looking for God? I'm looking for God in 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 a handful of ecstasy. I'm trying to find that moment because that's all that is is chasing that perfect. Hi, that feeling of like that feeling you belong that you just go, and you, <sighs> yes i'm okay yes. and i'm a and I, but and and i have purpose and i think since i got sober i found that like so that was really it because i didn't i mean it would have been nice if my mom hadn't been an alcoholic and there's some things maybe i have some resentments or whatever but i never felt like i never real like my story is not one where i go i always felt weird i'm like i always thought everyone's weird i don't believe in normal people mm-hmm. i don't believe in them I think hipsters are almost the most normal people in the world because they're the, they're the most extreme conformists to the point where their conformity sets them apart and makes them such unbelievable assholes that I, you know, right. that when they're like, "Well, I'm not like normal people." Well, fuck, I don't know a normal person. I right. really don't. Everybody yeah. I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. They have some little weird thing. That's what makes us so fucking awesome.
1: Yeah. Right. You know, the, the emails that I've been getting from people that uh, have have found this podcast have been so encouraging because there's so many people out there that are blown away that we feel just the way that that they do they think that they're alone in having insecurities you know i i have this uh survey on the website that you can take Uh, And I ask there's about 20 questions you can ask and uh, you know, one of the questions are what are the common negative thoughts you have towards yourself and you can go and you can see other people's responses Mm -hmm. and about 400 people have taken the the, uh, survey so far and there is such a common theme running through there of the negative ways people look at themselves, the fears that we have, the things that we feel shame over, the things that we feel guilty over, right? I've never felt so connected to other people uh, since I started doing this podcast. I, I felt connected to people once I got sober and, and stopped anesthetizing my feelings. Yeah. But I, I've been really blown away at how much thirst people have to feel a part of and how pervasive that feeling that we're broken, we're not enough, and we're alone right. is. Right. It, 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 it's,
2: I think it's standard operating procedure for being a human being. And because we have, I, I look at religions, um, uh, and I may probably will offend some people here, but I look at religions almost like, um, uh, your phone carrier. Everybody has a different service Mm -hmm. to get to the same thing. This basic
1: under, I mean you know that's the, that's the, what I say it's the, different rooms into different doors into the same room.
2: And I'm happy for people to go whatever way they want and think whatever they want. But I do believe the one commonality is is that a lot of us want to believe that there's a purpose to all of this and it yeah. just seems like there is. My feeling is that like you know God isn't um uh, a sentient being that's going to like solve things We got the whole thing. We were given the whole thing, and Mm -hmm. I think it's like okay. Now go. How do you tap into that? How do you let it out? Well, it's you know. I think part of it is like make good decisions and stop hurting each other. I gave you a fucking planet. I gave you animal. I gave you. I gave you a brain. I figured out you guys. This is a fucking. It's a gigantic game that I gave you Mm -hmm. that should end up perfect if you just do it right. Mm -hmm. If you just treat people with love. If you just allow people to have their things, if you just, you know, police each other in a way that any decent human being would be. And if you just make good decisions and if you're of service, if you spent most of your life thinking about others, everything will go fine. As soon as you start thinking about yourself, it's that's when things go awry. Yeah. It's just not as complicated as we've made it. That's my, that's how I need to right. process it. Right. That's my, again, this is all right. just me. Um, and when I had that very simple understanding of things, my life immediately just got better. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, so this is really it, you know? Yeah. Um, I have my crosses to bear like everybody else but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to carry these resentment. i lay that I love that that blues ray. I'm going to lay my burden down. Mm-hmm.
1: Lay it down. What are what are some common fears? Let's I, I want to try something. I've never done this before, but let's let's go back and forth uh with uh fears that we have. Yeah. And uh see try it until we run out. Right? Um and I'll start it off with a with a bad one. Uh I'm I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. Uh, I'm afraid that mine is too small. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, my wife isn't as attracted to me as she used to be. Uh, I am afraid that I won't work again. Uh, I am afraid that I am going to regret how I live my life when I'm in my 60s. I'm afraid that the band won't play enough shows this year. I am afraid that I am going to misjudge uh, how this podcast is going to be received and put too much energy into it and be disappointed. I'm almost afraid
2: to say the thing that I'm most afraid of is that something awful will happen to one or
1: both of my children. Uh, I am afraid that uh, we're due for an earthquake and I'm going to see my pets or my wife suffer. Uh,
2: I am afraid that I've taken my family down a really bad
1: path and I don't know how to get back. Uh, I am afraid that I'm going to get cancer. I am
2: afraid that I'm not going to, uh, get
1: all of the things done that I want to get done before I leave. I am afraid that I've run out of things to say I'm afraid I'm I'm right there with you. All right, I think that was enough then. Yeah, that was good. That felt good. Yeah,
2: I mean those are like real. I mean, I, I went through a really anxious period a little while ago. Uh, I went through a bad. I went through a bad patch, and uh, um, coming off of the, he's just not that. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I, I I co-wrote this book for. We wrote it for fun. It became a much bigger deal than anybody ever expected it to. Least of all me. It took my life in a direction. Uh, that I wasn't sure how to go to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I suddenly went from being a stand-up to being a self-help to use the, the, somebody else's terminology, guru mm-hmm. or expert. Um, and while I feel comfortable giving answering questions, I didn't feel comfortable with the title of guru or like that. Right. And I never wanted that. I never wanted it right. ever. I never, even in writing the
1: book, assumed that it would happen. So I didn't, it wasn't something. And, that and was I on think my anybody plate. that calls themselves a self help guru can't be that good. No. It's like I saw a license plate that said, Idea Man. How good are your ideas if that's one of them? Right. That's a terrible, <laughs> right. And
2: I, so I, uh, so I, and I got sort of but I didn't, you know, th- things happen in your life and you're like, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do now. I mm-hmm. suppose my instincts are saying, well, maybe, but my, but, but it, all these opportunities are coming and mm-hmm. they're, they're, some of them are financial and some of them are professional and right. But it's, but I'm now on a different path than I was on before. I was really on a, and this stand is a up. couple of years ago. Yeah. This is five years ago, 2005. Mm-hmm. And was when the book hit. And I went to this weird place and, and, uh, and I was, you know, I became enormously popular for a brief moment. Like, a, just a after. it's almost like an afternoon. Yeah, you like, told I, I, me
1: about being at a hotel and, uh, uh, who's, who's the rap guy that, uh, asked to have your autograph or a oh, picture of yeah, yeah, Nas? You. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I didn't even know he was. Yeah. My mom loves your show, man. I love your show. And I'm like, oh, what do you do? I'm a musician. What's your name, Nas? You got to be shitting me. What is happening? <laughs> uh, but I was, um, but I just, um, and, and proud of, you know, it's interesting. It's like you do something and, and you're proud of it and you love it, but it's not all of who you are. But you can't explain that to people as it's happening. And yeah. that's all people want from you. And look, it's a classic story.
1: You probably don't know what else to do at that point.
2: You don't. And, and the opportunities are coming and, you, you know, your wife's pregnant and she's, you know, suddenly these, some of these things happen. But the trade off you make is when it's over and it ends and it will end, um, then where are you? Mm-hmm. And I was miles away from the comedy shore that I'd been at. Not that I was like a ever a very popular comic beforehand, but I had put a lot of time into that mm-hmm. and establishing that. And I wiped it out because the people that liked me just got bored and went somewhere else or the people that, or they decided they didn't like me or I became more famous for that. People forgot that I did comedy and a lot of people didn't know that I did comedy. So when I'd go out and do shows, people would come out, I'd sell tickets, but they weren't there to see stand up necessarily. Mm-hmm. And while they would you know they, well, the shows were fine, I'd come back the next time they weren't there, because mm-hmm. they had wanted some other experience I yeah. wasn't able to give them, and suddenly, I watched my career really start to like I mean I dropped from this very high place that I was for i I, I would say I had an afternoon of fame, mm-hmm. an afternoon I <laughs> had a nice afternoon of fame and it and I got very, very scared, and the thing that I did wrong was I fought it. And as right. soon as you're on somebody else's problem, as soon as that phone rings. And it's a guy that I can talk to and say, "Oh shit, yeah, I know what you're doing." And I'm not, I'm not. The thing that's different about like with the self help book is like, I'm not telling a guy what to do. I'm never telling someone to do. I'm just saying, "Here's what I here's what I did." Yeah, here's how I screwed up. This is what I thought helped solve. My problem. And sometimes
1: halfway through the phone call, you realize you're more fucked up than that person and they're helping you. That's, that's the thing that is so amazing about helping other people. Yeah. Just putting yourself out there by saying, hey, here's my phone number. Call me if you get, want to need to talk. But it's because the the thing about it is it's not I know more.
2: It's just one person <laughs> talking to another, just sharing the fucking yeah. human experience and saying, look, here's what
1: I do. And people
2: love to be able to answer your questions. That helps him because now we're not talking about him anymore. And he and, and he say, feels a sense
1: of purpose. He yes. gets to get out of himself. Yeah,
2: he's like, oh, I can't believe you're asking me a question. Right. Well, blah, blah, blah. And then he's thrilled and he had an answer. Right. And I liked his answer. And I was like, that's going to do it. That's going to solve my problem. Thank and, you. That's, and, that's exactly what I'll do. I'll take your advice. You know, sometimes, you know, and that's all we're really meant to do. You know, on a bigger level, it doesn't have to be in the context of a program. It can just be with your wife or with your kids or with group whoever, therapy your friends, or your roommate, to going see. to a
1: coffee place and hanging out. Spend
2: one day just saying to people, the first thing you say to them is how can I help you today? Or what can I do for you today? Mm-hmm. Is there anything you need? You know, yeah. I mean, it, it feels powerful to actually say that to people because they're like, Oh, that's so funny. You asked me. I really, you know, I don't mind. In case you end up finding myself driving a guy to the airport. All right. You know, whatever. Yeah. You know, but it, it I, you know, and enough of that stuff starts happening and I forget that enough of that stuff starts happening and I forget that, Oh, Right I I oh I've right. a career that I'm
1: not happy you know what I mean right.
2: oh, and then suddenly something happens
1: isn't that the, the, let's talk about that for a second it, it it almost seems like helping other people is little breadcrumbs on a trail to this beautiful life that has always been there but yes. it just becomes revealed yeah when we take time out to consider other people and their f- feelings yep. and by that, you know, without being a doormat, without, you know, being enabling or you yeah. know, codependent, but taking time out to care about the world, things happen uh, on their own. There's synchronicity that is mind blowing. Well, that to me, that
2: for me is the spiritual connection. That's like, well, now I'm locked in. Yeah. Now I'm on my plan. Now I'm on my thing. When I do that, I get handed the things I need. You know, they come in different shapes than I thought. They come in different ways than I thought. They come at different times than I expected them to come. Some things come back up. Some things go away. Something random comes away. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I I remember years ago I'd lost a job and I was was, uh, out working with a guy and I literally had nothing going on in my career. Nothing. And I just lost a big job and... I'm with this guy and we're just, you know, we're, we're talking about life or whatever. And I get a phone call from my wife and they're like, variety decided you're going to be one of their 10. I'm like, well, they did. Why? I said, I don't know. They decided they just did. They just decided that you're going to be one of their 10 comics that they're profiling blah, blah, blah. And I was like, it would have been month, like nothing in yeah. ha- like it just took care of itself. It just, yeah. I, because I'd done work because I'd yeah. done, I mean, you can't have an imaginary career, you have to go do open mics and do right. stand up and do that. So you have to do the little work, you have to do the work, you know, part of but the then work step is helping back with and
1: stay out of obsessing about where it's going to lead can't, and what the you, results you, are going to be. Can't do anything about the results. That's yeah. the problem. You yeah. just can't do anything about the results. If, that to me is one of the biggest, uh, tools to having a chance at sanity is getting a clear picture on what I have control over and what I don't have control over. And right. for so much of my life, I tried, to control things that uh, I had no, no control over. Uh, I got to share uh, something interesting happened to me. Somebody had suggested, uh, that I try meditating because, uh, I was just caught in, in one of these negative thought kind of loops mm-hmm. where, that that I could see was just degrading the quality of, of, of my life. And, uh, and this person said, well, you should, you should consider meditation. So, I took this meditation, uh, class and the, the woman that taught me how to meditate, she said, you know, one of the things that people, uh, who meditate discover is the world becomes more fluid and, and there's less friction. Things come to them easier. And I, and I remember thinking, I don't understand how meditating is, is really going to do that, um, I had to go back home to do a, a, a hockey fundraiser later that week. And there's three pieces of equipment that I needed to get. I needed to get a new helmet, a new pair of hockey pants and a pair of hockey gloves. And, uh, and the night before I was going to go buy those three items, a friend of mine said, Hey, this guy I know bought this equipment and was going to play hockey, but never took it up. This is a couple of days after I started meditating. He goes, um, I He gave it to me, and you are the only person I know that plays hockey. Would you like it? It's a pair of hockey gloves, <laughs> a pair of pants, and a helmet. Yeah, and they all fit perfectly. And I just—it's like there are times when the universe just throws you these bones that 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 keep you going, and you you, you just totally. Kind
2: of, yeah. I I no, I mean. It, and the thing that's so funny, so you tell a story like that, and certainly the people listening, and and in their head, the word you know, "coincidence" is coming in, and it's like absolutely, we well, not call it a coincidence. But you get enough is, of them. But also, like, but what do you get out of blocking the idea that it might actually be some divine intervention? Like, what's the what's the big, what's your big mistake in going? Well, maybe there is somebody paying attention to me up there. Maybe the universe, however that works, is paying attention to me on some level. Yeah. it's not solving my problems. Right, but it just like. I let go of a need because I couldn't do anything about it. And it just sort of showed up. I had the very same experience when I first got sober, but like I had no money I called my parents. I told them I didn't want anything from them anymore that I had taken too much from them that I had, that i had used them and I was sorry and I was going to make my, my own way. And all I wanted was a fucking candle. I wanted a candle in my bedroom. I wanted some sort of thing. And I, didn't have any money and blah, blah, blah. And I went to a friend's house and she goes, you know what? I got this box of candles today. And I, you know, I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, I really want. And, I went, and then it meant so much more. It was from a friend and it came and yeah. I wanted it for the same reason. You just so I could light a candle and meditate or do whatever. Yeah. And there are those times where I do feel like it's just nudging you. like It's almost like a light going, no, you're on the right path. It's not, yeah. I'm solving your problems. It's like, this is where you're supposed to be for this right. stuff to happen. This is the keep doing the thing that you're doing. You're going back to do this thing. You know, you're going back to an event for somebody. You're, you know, the, and it doesn't cost me anything to have faith. Right. That something good could happen. Yeah. You know, to be slightly optimistic. I mean, that's how I knew that I was in trouble when I first stopped drinking. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I hate everybody. <laughs> And and I'm blaming everybody for my lot in life, and right. it's clearly my fault. And I'm I'm actually not predisposed I'm, I'm chemically not predisposed that way. I'm a fairly upbeat, fairly yeah. positive guy. Yeah, and I was a lot of my life, even throughout my mom's alcoholism and the weird
1: things mm-hmm. that we went through. So so you've you've never uh, had bouts of uh, sustained bouts of depression or uh, only hmm. right after
2: I I went through a pretty black time right after the he's just not that into you came out and then. Uh, I had a talk show and the talk show was canceled. And then that led to the, to the black part, because I lost everything. I lost my, my, my agent became, went over and became the head of eight. I lost my agent, my manager, my lawyer, my lawyer. I lost everything. I literally lost everything. Our book company dropped us. Like I lost everything. I couldn't get anyone. It was, it was a classic show business thing where you go, Oh, this actually happens. People dump you. They're done with you and they dump you. Right. And I didn't know what I did know. I could wouldn't accept. Right. The only thing that's going to fix this is time hmm. That's the only thing. You had your dance. Everybody saw you. They fucked you. They're done. Right. Go home. Put on a new outfit. Wait a while. Come back. Right. And that is show business. The tide comes in and the tide goes out. And right. I feel like I, w- I refuse to. I was like, no, no, I'm the exception of the rule. I will fucking fit. And I tried. I fought it. I fought my reality and I got very depressed.
1: Uh, and can you describe how how you
2: fought that reality what were you what were you doing that yelling uh... at my manager trying to figure out why I couldn't get certain things to have happen and um being upset with the audiences that came out that weren't didn't understand that I was also a comedian like mm-hmm. just finding finding fights i was finding fights i was finding fights with people i mm-hmm. wasn't accepting the reality of my life that this thing was going to be bigger than me for a while and that i was going to have to find new ways to do it i mean mm-hmm. you know the one nice thing was about it is i'm always I work at things all the time, so I was like, "Oh, I think I'll play some music. Mhm no one's expecting it, no one needs it yeah there won't be I can't disappoint anybody i wanna write a I want to write instrumental surf style music because mm-hmm. it, it then it can be interpreted by anyone anyway. I don't want to be in a band with a singer, and so I did that, and I found a project I could throw myself into that i Loved and was pure and was artistic and had no, there was no goal with it. I wasn't, there wasn't like, this is my thing. This was like, this is something that's... (sighs) simply so that when I get into my car I can listen to it.
1: I that's where I listened to it. You gave me a CD and I loved it. That's Thank great. You. It's called the The Reigning Monarchs is yeah. the is the name of the CD and the and the title of the uh, the CD itself is The Reigning Monarchs
2: yes. self-titled debut. Yeah. You can get it at TheRainingMonarchs.com. the you can download it for free or a price of your choosing. Yes, and raining is spelled R E I G N I N G. And that was the beginning of like realizing like, you know, for a while you're going to have to make things on your own. Everyone's, mm. you know, it's not But you're not going to die. You're not going to disappear. Well, that was my wife was like, I don't understand. We, you know, there's a roof and the kids are in school. And
1: how do they not for, why are, are are we wired to be the ones that, that, that freak out? Or is it just that one spouse freaks out and the other one automatically? Well, I think probably you
2: assume whatever role that you're in, you know, um, my wife has never been a freaker outer. my wife, it just, it's my wife is just a solid, solid human being. And I think I don't feel Um, as a man, I don't feel complete unless I'm working. Yeah. I just don't. I, I, you know, I can't attribute that to anything other than for Greg Barrett. Greg Barrett needs to be working to feel complete. I'd love, you know, you can't put that. People are like, well, What about your kids and your family? I'm like, well, that's a lot of pressure to put on them to bring me my happiness. Mm -hmm. My job is to make them happy. Mm -hmm. My job is to make sure that true and mighty are sorted and that they're getting connection from me and that we're doing things together. And I certainly get some joy out of that, but that is not my vocation, nor is it my it can't be my passion. My passion can't be my children that they, they, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't want that. What do I right. do when that's done mm-hmm. and they leave? That's the wrong way to parent. I think yeah. that, you know, my, my job is to make sure that they are feeling good and, and encouraging them and being there with them. But I don't want them to feel the pressure of, oh God, dad wants our attention now. Right. Yeah. You know, dad needs to feel happy, so we're going to do it. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I
1: think there's a lot in this generation of parents that are smothering their kids because they're trying to compensate for the lack of attention they got from from their parents.
2: Yeah, I mean, what my kids know is that they're loved, they are well taken care of, that they can ask us anything that they are that this is a, you know, yeah. th- this is a safe environment for them to be around too. You mm-hmm. know, I'm sober, my wife's said Normie, so but that they um but they also get to have their own lives yeah. and they get to be their own people and they don't have to you know but i can't derive just like i can't derive pleasure from my wife she's not my thing she's my wife i'm in love with her but i can't make her my happiness or right. my kids they yeah. would just be they'd You'd be, be disappointed because yeah. nobody can nobody can feel And that. i'm happy in creation. Yeah. Like i think that's what the plan is for me like i every time i went to that area like i'm happy When I make my podcast, I don't care that for me, the money thing is more about making sure my family's taken care of because I can do without money. But from, but, but as far as creating goes, I just, you know, I go up, I do my podcast with my buddy and we put it on our website and people listen to it and we make our little videos and we have a blast and we're not making a dime, but we love it. And it's pure me, you know, and so then I feel healthy. Yeah. So that that also came out of yeah. it so those are the things I did to get better yeah. I started to create my own fires instead of asking for show, Hollywood yeah. if I could be in show business I started making my own show business
1: dude I'm so glad uh, I I came over today and got to uh that was fun doing the fear thing I, I I enjoy that I always feel so good when I get my fears out out in the open yeah you know with without doing it inappropriately and just, you know, dumping on a stranger, you know, hey, you're going to have a latte You know, I'm afraid that, uh,
2: well, sometimes too, like I notice when you do me, you're acknowledging me you're like, well, that's not really that big of it. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you put, if you give voice to them, they sort of then dissipate a little bit. They yeah. feel a little bit less like, you know, as you're thinking of them and they're coming out of your mouth and you're like, I'm afraid of that, but I could, you know, I, mean, I can handle, you know what I mean? Like the, you make a, you know, when you have a family and you, you decide, if you decide you're going to have kids, that's the gamble you take that something's going to happen to them. They're people. Things happen to me as a kid. That just yeah. is the way it is. Uh, but you don't, you know, you don't want them to. And so you hold that thought, but you know, there just isn't, we were built to, uh, to, to navigate these waters. Yeah. You know, that's how we were built. You know, there really is nothing you can't handle, you know, and the, and, and when you can't, the, you know, the beautiful thing about life is, and this has been in all of our books and all of our self-help books and he's just not that into you. And in the, it's called a breakup because it's broken. We're always saying, look, there's always someone you can talk to. There's always someone. Yeah. Clergy. There are so many people who have dedicated their lives to it. You know, our book is simply a jumping off point. Do you know that you're good enough To not be in a shit relationship Because if you don't know it I will fuck, I will tell you And we say it in that tone mm-hmm. Fucking get it together You're a superstar This is horseshit Stop accepting Less than good behavior right. and, and get to it And then If you're having trouble with it, See a professional Yeah. Go talk to somebody People love to hear you talk People want to help you I know that I like. Lo- I can tell you before I love it when my phone rings Because it. yeah. now it's not Now the voices in my head Have to be quiet Because we're listening to somebody Yeah <laughs>
1: And uh, I think that's the, the, the perfect note to end on. So if you're out there and you're struggling and you're feeling stuck, uh, get, some, get some help. Talk to somebody. Don't, don't try to solve it uh, your, your, yourself. Uh, and know that uh, there is hope and you are not alone. So thanks for listening.